Welcome to episode number 53 of Unfolding Words. I'm your host, Antracia Moorings, and this is the weekly podcast aimed at sharing biblical truth to offer light for your walk and life for your soul. Thank you so much for pressing play this week. So as you know, it's been one year of unfolding words, and in celebration of 52 weeks of podcasting, I have invited on some of my favorite people on the internet, podcast hosts, Bible teachers, and I'm interviewing them in celebration of my one-year anniversary. So all this month, I'll be having a special guest on every week, and you get to join in on the conversation. This week, I have a courageous conversation with Lisa Fields. Lisa is the founder and president of Jude 3, an apologetics organization that helps the Black Christian community know what they believe and why they believe. Lisa's goal is to equip believers with the tools to defend the faith. She believes that one of the greatest tools to defend the faith is biblical literacy. So you already know she's right up my alley. Jude 3 encourages and educates through lectures and seminars, training in apologetics, She has a podcast and a blog, as well as a YouTube channel. Lisa graduated from the University of North Florida with a Bachelor of Science in Communications and Religious Studies and from Liberty University with a Master of Divinity with a focus in theology. So here is my conversation with Lisa. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. I'm very excited to talk to you about all that you have going on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Now, when I discovered you probably more than a year ago, I was pretty hyped because you're talking about a subject that I don't I haven't often encountered in the black church, which is apologetics. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about what you do what you're doing with the Jude Three Project. So the Jude Three Project is a Christian apologetics organization um dedicated to helping Black Christians know what they believe and why they believe it. And apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia, which is in 1 Peter 3.15, when Peter says we ought to give a defense for the hope that we have. And that Greek word is uh, where we get apologetics from. And No, no I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, and so um, I started the G3 project my last year of seminary back in 2014 uh, because I didn't see a lot of African-Americans in apologetics and I wanted to bridge that gap. And so that's kind of how um, the whole thought and um, of Jude 3 came about, um, in addition to my my personal story of getting into apologetics. Now, you had quite an interesting journey because you are the daughter of a pastor, correct? Yes, PK. So you mentioned that I, I've read quite a few articles where you mentioned that you went off to college mm-hmm. and sort of had a faith crisis. Mm hmm. So talk about that. Yeah. So um, like 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 you said, I am a PK. I grew up in church my whole life. My parents taught me the Bible and I never really critically thought about why I believe what I believe. And I always say the the most critical thought about um, my beliefs came when I was like uh, four or five. And I was sitting in church and they were like, we're about to give um, the offering to God. And I was like, and I struggle with how did they get the money to God? Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
which is my only critical thought about <laughs> why I believe what I believe. I was like, do they, it's like, they're like an offering and he comes and gets it. And I was just, that baffled me as a kid. And um, but for, but for a, fi- a four or five year old, that is pretty critical thinking though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a lot of people have questions about what do people do with the money? So I guess I'm not the only one. <laughs> right. Um, but so I never really questioned it. I was like, oh, this is what I believe. My parents taught me that I was in kind of a Christian bubble. So when I got to college and I decided to take a New Testament course, I assumed it would be like Sunday school and it was not. And then my first day of class, our professor said she was going to change everything we thought we knew about Jesus. And I was like, oh, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> and um, I really was challenging and I hated every moment of hated every moment of it, but now I'm so thankful for it because it was what God used to uh, as a catalyst to my purpose. And um, it was through that time that I had to really wrestle through like why I believe the Bible, where did the Bible come from? I don't know what I thought. I was like, I I think I just must've assumed that we were just, it it came from heaven. Um, I just never (laughs) thought about where it came from. And that was the faith crisis that led me through that. My dad introduced me to um, Ravi Zacharias, like teaching and books. And I was like, oh, this is really helpful. And that helped me navigate that space. But then going forward, it was like, oh, where are the black people? And um, that's kind of what pushed me into to wanting to bridge that gap for, for uh, African-Americans. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you had a different trajectory for your life. You had a totally different career field that you had your eye on. Mm -hmm. Nothing to do with apologetics, correct? Yes. So I wanted to be a stockbroker because in the fifth grade, uh, we played the stock stock market game and I became obsessed uh, with just stocks. And I was like, when I go off to college, I'm going to invest. I'm going to, um, I'm going to major in investment finance and I'm going to be a stockbroker and I'm going to move to New York and make a lot of money on Wall Street. I'm not going to, because being a PK, you're in church all the time. I was like, I'm going to join like a huge church and I'm just going to attend and that's going to be my life. And we see where my life is right now. But um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's funny how God, God uh, uh, laughs at our, our plans probably. Right. So when did you know that you would be dedicating your life to doing this? When did it become very clear to you? Um, In undergrad, after that course, and it just became such a passion that it kind of engulfed my life that I knew, like, I didn't know, like, I was going to be doing G3 and I didn't know it was going to be like this. But I knew that my goal was to help people navigate these faith crises and especially African-Americans. And I, I kind of was very clear on that, especially once I graduated um, from undergrad. Now, I know I grew up in the black church and I know that I I knew nothing of apologetics until I went to Bible college. Mm-hmm. And I think that may be the experience for a lot of us who grew up in the black church. So are you finding that that's the truth that many of us who have the black church experience don't really understand apologetics or how it fins, fits in with our Christian walk? Yeah, I think uh, in the classical sense, um, in the more of a white evangelical, how they do apologetics, I think that Black people are kind of disconnected from that. I do find that we have an apologetic 
um, that black churches have, you know, at the end of the close of every sermon, uh, he died, didn't he die? Um, kind of arguing <laughs> for the death, burial, resurrection. So it looks completely different. And I think for in our context, apologetics in large part focuses on the existence of God. And for black people, we never really questioned that. Um, for in large part, now there is a growing rise of a black millennials who are saying they don't believe that God exists for the, mo- but for by and large, black people are still, um, even surveys attest to this, that we by and large are the group that believes in God the strongest. Now, how we flush that out and what we believe about God would be different. But so arguing for the existence of God is oftentimes not relevant for our context. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's why there's this been this disconnect because it has to be contextualized for the things that we're struggling with. The things we're struggling with is how God is not is how God and suffering plays out in our in our space is in large part uh, what we're struggling with. And that comes out in different black cults and all, all, all of those things. Mm-hmm. No, no. A big part of defending our faith is not just understanding what we believe, which I think we we can we have a grasp on, but also being able to be compassionate with people who don't believe like us. Mm-hmm. Are you finding that among us, the black church kids, that we have, a like you mentioned, a disconnect? Do you think that there's a disconnect when it comes to having compassion or being able to understand the other side as we defend our faith? Yeah, I do think... Um, Sometimes if you've been immersed in the church world, that it's hard for you to see why a person would believe that. Um, it's like, oh, that's crazy. Why would you believe that? And, and, not, and not hearing the person out, I think, pushes them deeper into it. Um, so I, I do think there needs to be more compassion, especially I think it's an age gap um, between the older and the younger um, the older saying, you know, believe in God, don't question God. And the younger are like, no, I have these questions that, you know, when I went to college, my professor was telling me this, or I met friends that were Muslim. I met friends that were he- uh, Hindu. I met friends that were Buddhist. I met friends that were Hebrew Israelites. And they had some good points that I never, that my pastor never talked about. And so if the older is not willing to engage the younger on the questions, um, it is going to create um, this problem. Mm-hmm. Now, is Jude 3 your life's work? Is that what you do full time? Yes. Okay. Now, um, I know you have an MD of a Master's in Divinity from Liberty University. Mm-hmm. And so you were on the stockbroker career track. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what made you decide to go to Liberty and then get your MDiv? So, an uh, interesting thing, uh, when I decided to go, so after after college, I ended up going into banking. Um, I was a banker for two and a half years, a banker, and then I worked in mutual funds. So, I did actually go into finance, but that was just because um, I had applied for jobs. Um, I didn't apply for any ministry jobs. I was just like, I need to apply for a job so I could pay off this student loan debt that I've accumulated. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I, was just, I was just applying for jobs in any, every field. And that was the first one I got. And um, so I went into banking. And so it was through God's providence. I was still teaching apologetics courses at my church. And um, um, church mother was like, you know, I think 
it's time for you to go to seminary because you're really good at this. And I was like, I got to pay off. I still want to pay off my debt before I go into another degree program. And it was like from there, God just started tugging on my heart. So I quit my job and I was looking at who still this was like June leading into July. I on a whim, I quit my job and I said, I feel like this is what God wants me to do. And Liberty was one of the only schools that still had open uh, that was taking applications. And so I was like, if I don't do it now, I'm not going to do it. Like, why I have the faith to do it? Let me just do it. So I quit Mm -hmm. my job, moved to Lynchburg after I got accepted. And it was it all happened within like a two month window that I made the decision and did the big jump. Um, And so it was very spur of the moment. So it really had nothing to do with oh, I think this school is so awesome. It was like, what school is still accepting applications? What school have I heard of? Um, And somebody else that I know had went there for undergrad. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm going there. And so that's kind of how I ended up at at Liberty University. Mm -hmm. Now, I know a lot of your experience um, at Liberty because you had the popular hashtag seminary while Black. Was that Something that you had started? No, that actually came from a, some student, black students at Fuller University. Oh, and, okay, okay. And um, no, Fuller's um, Seminary. And so um, they reached out to me about it. And I was like, we should do a podcast topic on this. So I got together Allie, who was a part of, she's a student at Fuller. And she was a part of the movement they had there. Jamar, Akimini, Malik, and because I know they've had similar experiences and we just had a, we facilitated a conversation about that. Um, because when I got to Liberty, that was actually the first time I was around like white conservative evangelicals. I grew up mm-hmm. in a black church. Um, my college experience was a state university. So that's more just liberal, uh, just, uh, just a co- college campus. So you're around white people, but not conservative evangelical white people. Um, So that was my first time. And it was like really a culture shock. I was like, oh, wow, this is like a completely different world. Um, And it was interesting, the things that they like, the presuppositions about black people that they had, you could tell that they hadn't been around anybody uh, that many black people. Um, So that was a very, very interesting experience. Was your experience there part of the catalyst for um, the work that you're doing with Jude 3? Did that spur you on to say, you know, I see this gap that needs to be filled. So let me fill it. Was your experience there part of that? Um, For our courageous, for the courageous conversations part, it was uh, because for I was in a lot of different groups. I grew up in a black church. Um, a more Pentecostal black church. And then I went to a conservative evangelical Baptist school that's um, known for being very, for its fundamentalism and its uh, political um, leanings. Then I went, (laughs) during that time, I went to a a black church, a black missionary Baptist church. Um, And so I'm having all of these experiences. Then I went to the Academy of Preachers, which is like, all of these seminary students from across the country, more from progressive schools. And I'm just having all these encounters and I'm realizing people aren't talking to each other. They're talking at or about, but they don't really have relationships. And while I do 
I am in conservative evangelical spaces because of school, I'm like, even some of the things or caricatures that they have aren't necessarily true. Now, some are, some do, do fit, but some aren't. And I was like, what would it look like for us to talk to each other? Because I benefited from all these spaces. And if I benefited from these spaces, what would it look like for me to put these spaces in conversation? And mm-hmm. so um, that's kind of where all of these spaces kind of helped shape and develop me. And that's kind of where the concept of courageous conversations came from. So let's talk about courageous conversations. I feel like that is something that has been a long time coming and it I'm shocked at the number of black theologians that you've been able to gather many that I had never even heard of. So I feel like it's ambitious in that, that you've gathered so many um, names and people that others haven't heard about. So you're doing so many things. You're educating others who don't know about these theologians, but then you're also teaching them how to have these conversations that they may have never even considered or learned how to do. So talk about Courageous Conversations and um, the origin of it. So uh, we have been doing Courageous Conversations for maybe a year and a half before we actually had the event. We've been just hosting Google Hangouts with people one-on-one that wouldn't normally talk. And our first one was with Willie Francois, who's actually going to be there this year, and Cam Triggs, um, who are both rising millennial uh, Black thinkers in different spaces. So Cam is more in a conservative evangelical world, and Willie is in a more progressive space. I put them together, I moderated the conversation, and people loved it. And so we can just continue to have them. And then my friend, Charlie Dates, he was like, well, Lisa, I think the next level would be you having it in person. And you and I'll let my ch- my church get hosted for you. And I was like, OK, cool. And so he was like, come see the church. Make sure you want to have it there. I went to see it. I was like, we're going to do this. And it was really an ambitious goal because I, 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 I gave him, sent him a proposal of all the people I wanted to get in the room. And he was like, Lisa, you think you're going to be able to get all these people in the room? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. We're going to try. <laughs> and and we tried and we got a yes from almost everybody on our, on our, on the, on my, in my proposal. Um, and the people that told us no only told us no, because they had a conflict with the date. Mm. And, um, so I was encouraged by that. And then we hosted the first one in person, September 3rd on Labor Day at Progressive Baptist Church. And we it was nationally televised on the Impact Network. And we'll be doing it again August 1st and 2nd in Atlanta, Georgia at the Greater Piney Grove Baptist Church. And what I love about the fact that we're doing this is we're trying to bridge the gap between the church and the academy. And for both of these, we've had them at historically Black Baptist churches. Uh, We rooted them in the church and then we're bringing scholars from both sides that don't usually talk um, to have conversations this year about Paul's sexual ethic, hell, um, interpreting the Old Testament in light of the new preaching of Black millennials, discerning truth. Um, We have seven conversations, um, uh, the divided mind of of the church, um, so I'm very, 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 very excited about what God is going to do with it. And like you said, it not only platforms scholars that people hadn't heard of, because many people think that black people don't have scholars. Right. <laughs> um, exactly. And, and so it platforms them, but it also 
I think, and I've said this repeatedly, I think in this divided world where people talk at and talk about that the church should be leading on how to talk to. I, obviously, I'm not going to change your mind about something in our conversation uh, for the them in conversation, but it demonstrates something that I think culture is missing right now. Civility um, and empathy, because people get to these spaces because of experiences. Um, a lot of times they get to conclusions that you might not agree with because of experiences that they've had. And even if you think they're dead wrong, even if you think they're heretics, understanding how they got there helps you engage them better. And I think if the church can lead on that, I think it would really revolutionize um, culture. And what has been the fruit of courageous conversations? What has the feedback been to you of people who have come to the events and heard the conversations? Um, so I've had feedback. I've had uh, we've had more positive than negative feedback, but we did have some negative feedback. But uh, the positive feedback uh, was from especially millennials who are heavily involved in theology and said, man, I didn't know how to have a conversation without disrespecting the other person. Hmm. Um, I had a guy that I know that he's heavily in like a black reform space. He was like, you know, this show, this gave me the tools because I saw people that I respected engaging people that I disagree with in a healthy way without disrespecting them or, you know, necessarily saying I got to condemn you to hell in this conversation. Um, and so that's, I think, to me, one of the best <laughs> responses I've got, because it's like, OK, it shows people how to engage people um, because some lessons are caught, not taught. Um, another is people that are wrestling. I've gotten this repeatedly as well. Like these are conversations that I wanted the church to have, especially black leaders to have, because these are things that I've been wrestling with on my own. And now it's like I get like I could see both sides. Um, people have been shocked to see scholarship on both sides. Um, and so those, those are some of the, the, some of the feedback I've been getting that I'm excited about. And what, what possibly could be negative feedback? Um, negative feedback is that, you know, people don't necessarily, it's funny because it's, it's amazing that people see two things. So in, in one week last year, I got called a champion for orthodoxy and a heretic. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> you guys feel girl you're both <laughs> I, I managed to be both um, and uh, um, and I think so for, for those who are extremely extremely conservative me having people that they deem as heretics um, is problematic they say I'm giving heretics exposure um, and the other on the other progressive side progressives will argue that the some of the stances I've taken in my podcast um, are problematic for them and that I'm kind of just parroting what they see as as white evangelical theology. So it just depends on like somebody I just talked about this in our last the the podcast I just posted. Somebody said that you know, they thought courageous conversations were good. They were at courageous conversations last year. They thought it was good, but it was obvious that Jude 3 didn't take into consideration that LGBTQ people are being murdered. Hmm. And I took issue with that because my aunt was a lesbian and she was murdered by her partner. Hmm. 
And I was like, wow, that was really triggering for me. Like, I was like, like, if you had a, I was like, I wish the person had came up and told me that because they had ample opportunity to tell me that to my face. Then I could have said, you know, no, that's definitely not what I'm trying to convey. Why do you feel that, that I don't care about that? And this is my own personal experience. And so it just, it was, I shared that in the last podcast to show that sometimes we say things based on our perception but if we don't engage the person, we could be doing more harm, you know, Yeah. in that in that conversation. So I think, you know, hopefully um, it gets people to understand, like, you need to actually have these conversations because you could be assuming things um, that aren't necessarily true. Yeah. Now, will this be televised again this year or will, will there be a live stream? Um, it will be televised again. Yeah. Okay. And this is only the second year that it's been like a big conference held at a church with church gathering with the public invited, right? Yes. Okay. It's, so it's this has really been a walk of faith, right? Because this is this is like you went from Google Chats to like full blown conference. Yes. I don't even know why I did that, but. <laughs> 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 that's what happened it's funny I tell people um, I was telling them that we had a dinner where we got all of the panelists together the night before the event and I was telling them like I'm assigning contracts at, without any funds I just felt like this is what God has wanted me to do and it's funny because that's been my whole like MO for the whole the whole time I've been doing Juke 3 I'm like yes I'll do it and not knowing how we're going to do it and then by the end we have everything we need to do it but it's like literally stepping out and walking on water mm-hmm. and not even having the backing to do any of this. Wow. Um, and so God has provided sponsors, major seminaries and organizations got behind us last year. And it was like, once I showed them that I had people committed, that I had all of the stuff at ducks in a row, they, I, I'm like, man, y'all going to trust me? Um, I have to do this because I don't even know sometimes if I can do this. Um, But God put all the pieces of the puzzle that I needed there and um, we got it done. Well, it's definitely encouraging. Yeah, it's encouraging to see um, how it's come together and how it's growing. And I'm always anxious to see who the panelists are going to be because I love being exposed to new black um, voices, theological voices. So I say, stay the course. You have a cheerleader over here, definitely. Thank you. I appreciate it. So do you have any mentors, those who have maybe paved the way for you um, to do what you're doing? Yes. So um, my 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 first mentor that was like uh, outside of my parents was Dr. Van Gaten. Um, he was an early cheerle- cheerleader for me early on um, to continue as I continue um, there are so many people that helped me navigate this space. Um, Dr. Monique Gatson, um, Dr. Cynthia James. Um, there's countless pastors that help me um, all the time. Dr. D- uh, David Daniels. Um, most of the older people that's been on the podcast are people that I call anytime that I'm uh, in a crisis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't name them all, but... Yeah, those are some of some of the mentors. And um, Dr. Uh, Ravi Zacharias has been helpful. Um, RZIM has really uh, rallied behind me um, in ways that I am so, so thankful for. 
Now, um, since starting the organization Jude 3 and the conference Courageous Conversations, how has your relationship with the word changed, if it has in any way? Have you felt that you've grown in any way since um, opening up dialogue with those who may not agree with you or vice versa? Yes, it's definitely given me a lot of empathy. Um, I think for me, I've been through so many phases in my Christianity. Um, I had the uh, the phase that uh, some people described as uh, a cage Calvinist. I wouldn't describe myself as a Calvinist, <laughs> but I'm a, when you just get so immersed in in um, theological studies and the word and that you want to correct everybody. So I had that phase. And I think just experience and prayer and relationships has helped me kind of mellow out. Uh, but I think my commitment to the word is deeper. My commitment to my convictions are definitely stronger um, through experience. Um, I'm able to empathize. But at the end of the day, I mean, truth is truth. And so there's only so far I'm willing to go um, with with people on this journey of uh, of discovery. Um, but a lot of my convictions are deeper and stronger because I've had these conversations, but it's because that I've had these conversations that I'm able to empathize and relate in ways that I wasn't before. Mm-hmm. And I realized that at the end of the day, God has to change the heart. Um, and so that's, that's the ways in which I've grown. And I think the word has become realer to me, especially as it relates to faith and, and doing events and doing just you three, um, it's, it's one thing to talk about God being the provider um, just because it's in scripture. It's another thing to have that experience. Yeah. Um, so. Well, that's it, Lisa. I so appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. And I'm hoping that those who don't know your name now know your name and will become an avid follower and cheerleader just as I am. Thank you. I appreciate it. So I will include in the show notes, how to find Lisa Fields and how to registration is still open for courageous conversations, correct? Yes. Okay. So I'll include a link for how to um, register for the conference and that's it. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking your time out. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Unfolding Words this week. If you enjoyed this conversation that I had with Lisa, please reach out to her on social media and let her know. You can find her on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube as Jude with the number three project. That's Jude three project. Check out her podcast and check the show notes for registration for her upcoming conference, Courageous Conversations. Next week, I'll have another special guest on. So I pray that you'll tune in for that. Until next week, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.